Letter two of A Lady's Life in the Rocky Mountains. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Lady's Life in the Rocky Mountains by Isabella L. Bird. Letter two. Cheyenne, Wyoming, September seventh. As night came on, the cold intensified, and the stove in the parlor attracted every one. A San Francisco lady, much got up in paint, emerald green velvet, brussels lace, and diamonds, rattled continuously for the amusement of the company, giving descriptions of persons and scenes in a racy western twang, without the slightest scruples as to what she said. In a few years, Tahoe will be inundated in summer with similar vulgarity owing to its easiness of access. I sustain the reputation which our countrywomen bear in America by looking a perfect guy, and feeling that I was a salient point for the speaker's next sally. I was relieved when the landlady, a ladylike Englishwoman, asked me to join herself and her family in the bar-room, where we had much talk about the neighborhood and its wild beast, especially bears. The forest is full of them but they seem never to attack people unless when wounded, or much aggravated by dogs, or a she-bear thinks you are going to molest her young. I dreamt of bears so vividly that I woke with a furry death-hug at my throat, but feeling quite refreshed. When I mounted my horse after breakfast, the sun was high, and the air so keen and intoxicating that giving the animal his head, I galloped up and down hill, feeling completely tireless. Truly! That air is the elixir of life. I had a glorious ride back to Truckee. The road was not as solitary as the day before. In a deep part of the forest the horse snorted and reared, and I saw a cinnamon-colored bear with two cubs cross the track ahead of me. I tried to keep the horse quiet, that the mother might acquit me of any designs upon her lolloping children, but I was glad when the ungainly, long-haired party crossed the river. Then I met a team, the driver of which stopped and said he was glad that I had not gone to Cornelian Bay. It was such a bad trail, and hoped I had enjoyed Tahoe. The driver of another team stopped and asked if I had seen any bears. Then a man heavily armed, a hunter probably, asked me if I were the English tourist who had happened on a grizzly yesterday. Then I saw a lumberer taking his dinner on a rock in the river who touched his hat, and brought me a draught of ice-cold water, which I could hardly drink, owing to the fractiousness of the horse, and gathered me some mountain pinks which I admired. I mention these little incidents to indicate the habit of respectful courtesy to women which prevails in that region. These men might have been excused for speaking in a somewhat free and easy tone to a lady riding alone, and in an unwonted fashion. Womanly dignity and manly respect for women are the salt of society in this wild west. My horse was so excitable that I avoided the center of Truckee, and skulked through a collection of Chinamen's shanties to the stable, where a prodigious roan-horse, standing seventeen hands high, was produced for my ride to the Donner Lake. I asked the owner, who was as interested in my enjoying myself as a West Highlander might have been, if there were not ruffians about who might make an evening ride dangerous. A story was current of a man having ridden through Truckee two evenings before, with a chopped-up human body in a sack behind the saddle, and hosts of stories of ruffianism are located there, 
rightly or wrongly. This man said, There's a bad breed of ruffians, but the ugliest among them all won't touch you. There's nothing western folk admire so much as plucking a woman. I had to get on a barrel before I could reach the stirrup, and when I was mounted my feet only came halfway down the horse's sides. I felt like a fly on him. The road at first lay through a valley without a river, but some swampishness nourished some rank swamp grass, the first green grass I have seen in America, and the pines, with their red stems, looked beautiful rising out of it. I hurried along, and came upon the Donner Lake quite suddenly, to be completely smitten by its beauty. It is only about three miles long, by one and a half broad, and lies hidden away among the mountains, with no dwellings on its shores but some deserted lumberers' cabins. Its loneliness pleased me well. I did not see man, beast, or bird, from the time I left Truckee till I returned. The mountains, which rise abruptly from the margin, are covered with dense pine forest, through which, here and there, strange forms of bare gray rock, castellated or needle-like, protrude themselves. On the opposite side, at a height of about six thousand feet, a gray ascending line, from which rumbling, incoherent sounds occasionally proceeded, is seen through the pines. This is one of the snowsheds of the Pacific Railroad, which shuts out from travelers all that I was seeing. The lake is called after Mr. Donner, who, with his family, arrived at the Truckee River in the fall of the year, in company with a party of immigrants bound for California. Being encumbered with many cattle, he let the company pass on, and with his own party of sixteen souls, which included his wife and four children, encamped by the lake. In the morning they found themselves surrounded by an expanse of snow, and after some consultation it was agreed that the whole party, except Mr. Donner, who was unwell, his wife, and a German friend, should take the horses and attempt to cross the mountain, which after much peril they succeeded in doing. But as the storm continued for several weeks, it was impossible for any rescue party to succor the three who had been left behind. In the early spring, when the snow was hard enough for traveling, a party started in quest, expecting to find the snowbound alive and well, as they had cattle enough for their support, and after weeks of toil and exposure, they scaled the Sierras and reached the Donner Lake. On arriving at the camp, they opened the rude door, and there, sitting before the fire, they found the German, holding a roasted human arm and hand, which he was greedily eating. The rescue party overpowered him, and with difficulty tore the arm from him. A short search discovered the body of the lady, minus the arm, frozen in the snow, round, plump, and fair, showing that she was in perfect health when she met her fate. The rescuers returned to California, taking the German with them, whose story was that Mr. Donner died in the fall, and that the cattle escaped, leaving them but little food, and that when this was exhausted Mrs. Donner died. The story never gained any credence, and the truth oozed out that the German had murdered the husband, then brutally murdered the wife, and had seized upon Donner's money. There were, however, no witnesses— and the murderer escaped with the enforced surrender of the money to the Donner orphans. This tragic story filled my mind, as I rode towards the head of the lake, which became every moment grander and more unutterably lovely. 
the sun was setting fast, and against his golden light green promontories, wooded with stately pines, stood out one beyond another in a medium of dark rich blue, while grey bleached summits, peaked, turreted, and snow-slashed, were piled above them, gleaming with amber light. Darker grew the blue gloom. The dew fell heavily. Aromatic odors floated on the air, and still the lofty peaks glowed with living light, till in one second it died off from them, leaving them with the ashy paleness of a dead face. It was dark and cold under the mountain shadows. The frosty chill of the high altitude wrapped me round. The solitude was overwhelming, and I reluctantly returned my horse's head towards Truckee, often looking back to the ashy summits in their unearthly fascination. Eastwards, the look of the scenery was changing every moment, while the lake for long remained one burnished sheet of living gold, and Truckee lay utterly out of sight in a hollow filled with lake and cobalt. Before long, a carnival of color began, which I can only describe as delirious, intoxicating, a hardly bearable joy, a tender anguish, an indescribable yearning, an unearthly music rich in love and worship. It lasted considerably more than an hour, and though the road was growing very dark, and the train which was to take me thence was fast climbing the Sierras, I could not ride faster than a walk. The eastward mountains, which had been gray, blushed pale pink. The pink deepened into rose, and the rose into crimson. And then all solidity etherealized away, and became clear and pure as an amethyst, while all the waving ranges and the broken pine-clothed ridges below etherealized too, but in a dark, rich blue, and a strange effect of atmosphere blended the whole into one perfect picture. It changed, deepened, reddened, melted, growing more and more wonderful, while under the pines it was night, till, having displayed itself for an hour, the jeweled peaks suddenly became like those of the Sierras, wan as the face of death. Far later the cold golden light lingered in the west, with pines in relief against its purity, and where the rose light had glowed in the east a huge moon upheaved itself and the red flicker of forest fires luridly streaked the mountain-sides near and far off. I realized that night had come with its eeriness, and putting my great horse into a gallop, I clung on to him till I pulled up in Truckee, which was at the height of its evening revelries, fires blazing out of doors, bar-rooms and saloons crammed, lights glaring, gaming-tables thronged, fiddle and banjo in frightful discord and the air ringing with ribaldry and profanity. I.L.B. End of Letter 2